0: Welcome to the Fearless Warrior Podcast. This is a place where warriors are shaped. I'm your host, Danny Timras, and it is my personal mission to help you awaken your warrior spirit. Fearless Warrior isn't the one who has no fear. It is a warrior who stays with the fight no matter the struggle, fear, or circumstances. The real warriors have the discipline, grit, and tenacity to chase their dreams and stay on their path. Are you one of them? Tune in and learn from the warriors of today and start carving out the warrior within. Welcome to the next episode on the Thelas Warrior Podcast. It is International Women's Day, and today's episode is a tribute to all women, moms, grandmothers, all women who have shaped the lives of many children. Motherhood is one of the most rewarding and challenging roles a woman can play. It's full of ups and downs, moments of ecstasy and deep worry, moments of laughter and joy, and yet moments of fear and overwhelming responsibility. Nevertheless, millions of women choose to bear children and undergo all the challenges motherhood brings. Today, we have a true warrior among us, Mrs. Linda Huffner-Bindley. Linda Bindley is a writer and author of a book, Beach Glass, Finding New Beauty in What Survives the Storm. Linda began her professional writing career as a copywriter and ghostwriter, and today she speaks and writes on a variety of topics, including transformation through adversity, finding the new beauty in what survives the storm, and both beach treasures and people. In this episode, we talk about Linda's story of transformation through adversity, how she dealt with some of the most heartbreaking challenges as a parent and mother of three daughters, and the hard-earned lessons she's gained throughout the process. We discuss some of the biggest mistakes parents make when raising children, the fine line between empowering and enabling our children, how to separate yourself from the problems of your kiddos, and how to retain your sanity and mental health when things get really rough. Some of the other topics we dive into include radical acceptance, relentless love, and we really talk about in depth what that means. In this conversation, Linda shares her tooltips to manage difficult conversations with your children and your spouse, which makes this episode so much more powerful. This is such an incredible, vulnerable, powerful, moving, and honest conversation, and I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I did. And if you do, please take a screenshot of this episode and share with three friends who need to hear this message, especially those who are getting ready to become new parents. All right, I hope you'll have a great time. Please let me know on Instagram and comments and let's get ready to begin. Linda, welcome to the Feel Us Warrior podcast. I'm so excited to have you.
1: I am thrilled to be here, Daniela. Thank you so much for having me. I have so much respect for what you're doing and how well you're doing it.
0: I'm extremely impressed. Thank you so much for your kindness. I really appreciate that. And equally, I have so much respect for you. And your story has inspired me in so many ways that I felt that it's an absolute must to share it here on the podcast with my audience and empower others through your story and experience. Believe me, the honor is truly mine. Well, thank you. So Linda, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? So I shared a little bit in the intro prior, but would love to hear directly from you.
1: Surely. I am a native Californian of the United States. I was born and raised in California. The one thing that I knew when I was growing up is that I would not live here as an adult (laughs) and that I was going to move away. And then I fell in love with someone who was extremely committed to staying in Southern California. So I stayed and we raised our three beautiful daughters in Southern California. I am an author. I've done a lot of freelance copywriting and web writing and ghostwriting. I've just published my first book under my own name, which is Beach Glass Finding New Beauty and What Survives the Storm. In addition to that, I manage and co own a functional health practice in Dana Point, California. So I wear two hats mostly, and then, like every other woman I've ever met, probably about 80 other hats. <laughs>
0: i love that that definitely paints a picture of a life of a woman
1: <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. We all do more than anyone can possibly get done in a day but somehow we manage to do it
0: yeah somehow we do and uh, other days we also just need a break <laughs> oh so we can continue managing all the 80 things that are on our list indeed i think one of the challenges
1: that humans and particularly female humans have, and I'll speak for myself, is saying no. I've learned that more as an adult, the the beauty and the uh, discernment of saying no, and how it lets me amplify my yes. Otherwise, I kind of am mediocre doing lots of things, but nothing super well. So I'm learning that maybe some of your listeners are learning that as well.
0: Oh, yes. I'm learning that practice every day myself. And it's not always easy, especially saying no to myself or saying yes to myself on different things. So Mm -hmm. it kind of goes both ways. Yes, indeed. Yeah, very much kind of related to the people pleasing approach, right? Or even, yeah, just something that's within us that we don't even realize that's there and then working through it.
1: Yes, and everything is so lovely and we want to take big bites out of it because it's exciting and and we can. So sometimes our capability is our downfall. Because we can doesn't mean that we should. It means that we have to develop our laser focus and figure out what the heck are we here for? And then focus on that. Because what I've learned and you're so much younger than I am, God bless you. <laughs> But you get to a certain point and you realize, you know, what's not in infinite supply are days and months and years and minutes. We don't have as much as we think we do. If we dribble it out in what everyone else and what the world and even our own energy wants us to do, we get to the end of it and we haven't taken our grand steps. We haven't taken the big dare. We haven't lived that
0: life that we really were put here to live. Wow, that is so deep. I, I like it how we dive into this right from the start. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And Time is the one gift we have, and we don't we don't have infinite amount of it, right? Everybody has limited time on this earth. It's true. It, that's one non renewable resource. You can make more money,
1: you can create more relationships, you can make more businesses, etc. But you cannot manufacture more time unless you're Superman and you can fly around the earth and spin it
0: backwards. But that's not me. (laughs) Totally. So you said one thing, we have to develop our laser focus. What would you say is the best way to do that?
1: For myself, I can speak for myself, which is listening and solitude. So I think that there is massive, massive, more than ever, a massive amount of information coming at us from all sources. If we're not careful, we get sucked into this FOMO, you know, fear of missing out and comparison, comparing oneself. But I think that you and I have talked about this before about the conversation of parenthood. But I think that even more deep and precious is the conversation within ourselves. It's very, very important to develop a voice or, excuse me, ears to listen to that still small voice that's in us already from day one. So for me, I can hear that voice best when I'm unplugged and I can, uh, walking by the ocean has been tremendous for me, getting out in nature. That's probably my best way to hear that voice and recenter myself. I realize that I don't need a lot of everything. I need a deep rather than broad connection with life and with myself. So it's having trust in oneself and having ears to hear the voice and the courage really to take action based on that, not compared to anyone else or what is success in the eyes of the world, but instead figuring it out. It's not an easy job, I'll tell you that. It's not easy to figure out who we are because we're kind of shut through this sausage factory of of, you know, school, which says when you sit down, when you get up, what you learn, what you get tested on. And the fierceness can be kind of watered out of us when that's exactly what we need. When we get out into the world, we, we don't get to true success for people who are searching is not going to come at the end of the sausage factory because we want more The I want more. And I I suspect that most of the people listening to your podcast as well as yourself want more. We want what's unique and true and precious for ourselves, not what is generically perceived as
0: success. Wow. You just touched on so many amazing topics. I love what you said. We need to develop an ear to listen to the inner voice within us. And I love it how you com- compared it to an ear, right? It's like, that's a basic of, of listening. I love it that you find it through through nature to me. I feel like when I journal, there's many things that I realize within myself or about myself that otherwise I'm not able to notice or even work through. So this is an important call out. I would say set the bar very high for what you let in. What I mean by that is
1: people and things and even experiences. Set the bar high for what you say yes to. Otherwise, we each are going to just be completely watered down. And I would say as well, there's a really good gift that we were created with, and it's your gut. And if, you know, everyone's, oh, the broken heart and, you know, your heart, but I say go lower, like in your belly, you can feel when you say something and it's not right, your gut will tell you and your throat will tell you. So pay attention to your physical body because your physical body is informing you.
0: Yeah, here is where we're combining the Experience with functional medicine and understanding our body and putting it all together.
1: Yes, I didn't even look at it that way. But exactly.
0: It's so true. Your body will tell you. And it's just you wanting to follow the signs versus silencing them and going the other route. So that sometimes can be the hardest part, especially when you're tempted or you don't want to do something. But, you know, it's the right thing to do. And it's like, oh, man, do I go forward with it? How do you deal with those situations?
1: I've learned that a little pain now is, is so much preferable to a lot of pain later. So honesty and integrity are everything. So if I have to say something, I say it. And for example, in my marriage, if I'm not, it doesn't come out right, I have to come back to it and I have to work it through. And it's not easy to be wrong. It's much more comfortable to be right. But sometimes... I am wrong a lot of times. I'm wrong, and I have to circle back. But it, and and it's okay to say, ah, oh, something's wrong. I feel like something's wrong here. I don't know what it is though. I don't have the words yet for it. But I'm going to get back to you. And that's not just in the marriage. That's whenever someone wants something of me, for example, and I don't know why, but it doesn't ring true, and I can't tell why. Then I have to have that courage to say, I'm going to get back to you. And in fact, that's one of my best tools. In fact, with my children, they went through a lot of struggles and I learned that their urgency, their emergency is not mine. 99% of the time, it's not mine. And I had to learn to say, wow, that's really interesting. I am not ready to give you an answer now, but I'll get back to you. And the amazing part about it is that most of the time they resolved it themselves by the time I got back to them. (laughs) So giving yourself that breath, that space to figure it out. And pretty soon you do that enough times, you get better at coming up with a quick answer that is right. But if you don't have one right away, it's good to just take a pause.
0: This is a great recommendation. I love it. I'll get back to you. (laughs) Your emergency is not mine. I mean, just you don't have to say it, but realizing that that can save us from so much stress and trouble and overwhelm, not just with your children, but with anybody that you're working with.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah. And if you're a capable person, you're going to get demands put on you. And then if you have any creativity at all, where you want to create art of any nature or create a business or whatever that is the first thing to go and health as well. Those are the first things to go because if people want what they want and if you're not a good steward of those things, they will disappear first.
0: That's a very powerful call out right here. Yeah. If you don't master the art of saying no, your health is the first to go. That's, uh, Strong statement, but it's true, right? Like we stop with our workout routines, maybe we don't eat well, we skip the lunch, take the snack, and then you know find ourselves hungry, and then then we spiral from there
1: and I would say hunger on many levels on the spiritual level, on the creative level, on the physical level, all those things are not going to be satisfied you're going to be left hungry in many ways if you're not careful and this kind
0: of reminds me of my own experience because when you stop. Or you start taking away those pieces in your life that bring you joy or that kind of nourish you and they rejuvenate you, then you are taking the joy out completely out of life, which can actually put you in a more challenging position and, and make you an easier target for depression or other kind of mental illnesses and challenges. So, even in this context or the time that we find ourselves in today, it is so important to prioritize those things in your life.
1: Oh, 100%. I found that with. In my own life and in as a parent, that the most important thing to develop was my own voice and to help my daughters develop their own voice, and it goes contrary to so much parenting because no one really tells you that. You know, when you start having kids or you're growing up, is instead of telling a child. What something is like, it's good, it's bad, it's tasty, it's not tasty. It's much more difficult and challenging to say, well, what do you think? But the problem is that if you don't take that extra step and go that extra mile, what kind of voice does that child have when you're not there? Uh, They're gathering way too much information from what I'm telling them is right and good and pretty and successful. And then when I'm not there, what's there? A vacuum. And whose voice will rush in to fill it? In my experience, maybe not the voice that you want. So it's much more fruitful and more difficult. And it makes parenting a little more challenging, but it grows better. Humans is to have a conversation rather than a dictatorship and with oneself as well. If you take for granted what's right, what's wrong, et cetera,
0: it's easier perhaps,
1: but it's not the
0: best way to go. So helping develop your own voice. So let's break this into a few pieces. You said parenting has helped you do that. So how did you do that for yourself?
1: Well, what happened with me is that I and my husband chose to raise our kids in Southern California and in a part of Southern California that is affluent and moves very quickly. And I had someone say to me, no one just plays soccer here. Everyone's an all-star. Nobody just goes to school here. Everybody's taking advanced placement classes and, and getting college credit when they're in high school and is an honor student. The bar is set so high for success. It can be a very brutal place to grow up. So what happened is we did our best and we kind of, all that stuff that I just talked about, about developing the voice and you know bucking the trends and not listening, I didn't know that back then. I, I thought I did. I thought I knew some of it at least. But what I found is that I was completely swept up into the culture around us. And I was pushing my kids by and large through this sausage factory I was talking about, trying to get the best teacher, trying to do this, trying to, the right after school activities, getting their teeth straightened. You know, everyone has orthodontia, blah, blah, blah. But what happened was that when we hit my, my daughter's adolescence, um, stuff hit the fan and they had a lot of problems. So their problems took the forms of drug use. When I was faced with that, I used every tool in my tool belt. You know, I wrote the checks. I, carted them around to the psychologist. I went to the support groups, this and that. And there was nothing for me that lasted because they were so on fire. They were so um terribly troubled. And um I should say, I should back up because before the drug use, it was eating disorders. And my one daughter, she yelled at me at the top of her lungs one time, what were you thinking raising me here? Everyone's a size zero. Everyone has straight teeth. Everyone has white teeth. Everyone is is rich. Everyone has the right clothes. I'm not like that. And it was so sad because, of course, that wasn't true. Nobody's perfect, no matter where you are. But she was having so much trouble that that's what she saw. So the eating disorders kind of took hold because when she got to high school, it was this gigantic school of 3000 and yet she felt like she was all alone and she hadn't made connections she really wanted to be on the cross country team or what she really wanted was to be on the the um pep squad the the song leading but she hadn't taken dance for 10 years like all the other girls who were trying out so she didn't make that team so she thought, okay, well I'll try out for cross country. And she trained all summer with a team and then she got cut for five seconds, which is a whole nother story of why I'm so mad at them. <laughs> because then all those girls that she had built up relationships with over the summer, they went on to be on the cross country team and she had no peer group. So at lunchtime, she had nowhere to sit. So what she did is she'd walk out to this great courtyard with thousands of kids out there and she Had no one. So she would go into the bathroom, she would put herself in a stall, she would pull up her feet, and she would just wait until the bell rang for class. Well, after you do that for a few weeks, start losing weight, which is what she did. And then she started getting attention for losing weight, positive attention. And she thought, well, this is good. You know, I'm sure it wasn't a cognizant thought parade like that, but it reinforced itself. So then it took on a life of itself, and she really got in trouble she got to the point where she was gravely gravely ill and she was actually institutionalized in two different places she spent her 15th birthday in an eating disorder home and once she got out we thought we had some skills and she was doing better she kind of found the art program and that was her those were her people but then she got into drugs because nothing was really truly fixed quote unquote inside. It was just addressed. And she told me later, which was a great gift. She said, Mom, nothing you could have done would have made any difference. I was destined to have a very hard adolescence and teenage years. And that's just the way it was. So at any rate, um she got into drugs and my other I have three, like I said, and they've all struggled in their own ways. And she wasn't the only one to struggle with eating disorder or drugs, but she was kind of the most public about it. She's very emotional. She's the one who yelled at me at the top of her lungs. And then she got institutionalized for drug use. So I learned a lot about how I am not in control. And I had to go back to the basics of, okay, who are we in this microcosm of the world that we have here? And what have we created? I had to look at everything. And during that whole chaotic time when it was the drugs and eating disorders, and we also had purchased their house that was triple our mortgage. And I went back to work full time. So it's like everything was kind of blowing up. And I was just barely kind of holding on to everything. But one thing I had is I had Tuesdays. I had Tuesday mornings after I dropped the various kids off to school. And for some reason, I sat down to write. And I had... The first day I sat down to write, I recalled just that week, earlier that week, I'd been walking on the beach and I ran into a friend of one of my daughters who was away at school and she was shaken. She was really shaken because she was now at one of the toughest universities in California, UCLA. And whereas in high school, she was top of her class, smart. On the yearbook, you know, played tennis, everything was going really well. But then when she got to college, everyone was like that because it was such a hard school. All the A students, all the kids with great dossiers and resumes of the extracurricular activities, they all were there. So she felt like she was nothing. And to see this beautiful girl running down the beach towards me shaken and we stopped and we chatted and I had been collecting sea glass as was my hobby and I've collected beach glass on many beaches for decades and decades that we talked and I I tried to tell her her name's Natalie Natalie you're enough you are enough and this is going to pass this feeling you're right where you should be no one there is any better than you are And you wouldn't be there if you didn't deserve that spot. I gave her several pieces of beach glass. And if anyone is listening who collects beach glass, they know that the turquoise are the, for me anyway, those are really, really special. So I gave her these. It was an amazing day. So I had several of the turquoise pieces to give her and I gave them to her and she took them back to school. And she later told me to put them on her desk and it reminded her of our conversation. So in my writing time on that Tuesday, I sat down and I started writing and I wrote that experience and that exchange with Natalie. What I was developing, I didn't even know it at that time is what the metaphor of the beach glass was telling me, which is that we all start out as these beautiful, fresh, original, clean, non-scarred vessels, such as our glass bottles. And Those glass bottles kind of all look alike and they're all designed for certain purposes, like holding wine or holding soda or holding water. And those are great. Those are great intentions. But when one of those bottles lands on a beach and gets into the surf, it breaks and it tumbles and it tumbles and it submerges and it loses pieces of itself. At the beginning, when it first breaks, the edges are very sharp and they're very dangerous to touch. They're painful. And then it goes down and it gets submerged and tumbled. The sands kind of take off a little bit of the sharpness and then it comes up, not ready, goes back down, gets more tumbled, more tumbled, more tumbled. Till finally, what emerges on the sand is a piece of glass that really bears No resemblance to that original, clean, non-scarred, beautiful, original intentioned bottle that was on the shelf. It. What happens is that this beautiful jewel that beach glass is, that a collector finds on the sand, is the result of the breaking, of the tumbling. The beauty that's revealed comes through the adversity. It's not beautiful in spite of adversity it's beautiful because of adversity and that's what was revealed to me that's what I started seeing in my own life with myself with my daughters with Natalie on the beach is that here we are all hurtling through life and we're trying to hold on to this original form and our intentions and our expectations and our designs and our plans but Buckle up because things are going to change and we are going to break. We are going to get tumbled. But if we can hold on, what's going to come out the other side is beautiful, is our core beauty. It is revealed through the adversity. It isn't in spite of it. It's because of it. And that is the
0: story that I wrote. I'm so glad you shared this story and metaphor and the the whole learning that you gain through your experience in your own life, through some of the struggles that you mentioned, but and also through the process of writing this book. And it's extremely, extremely powerful. Well, going back to what you said earlier, I can't imagine what it must have felt like for you to see your daughters go through those struggles that you were describing and then yet still... um uh, you know, rising strong from it. Like, where did you draw your strength from at that time?
1: Where did I draw from? I drew it from the low gears. That's all I can say because I had to. I had a daughter on the verge of dying. We had a very hungry business that was taking a lot out of me and my husband. We had, like I said, a house that was triple the mortgage we had had before. I had two other daughters besides this one, they had their needs. And one of the other ones was struggling as well. So I drew my strength from that deep part of myself that was like, okay, I'm at the end of my rope. Now what? And I have a very deep spiritual faith. So I went deep with prayer. And I also, I have to say, I found an organization called Al-Anon, which is for families of individuals that are struggling with alcohol and substance abuse. So what I found there were tools, one of which was, like I shared, hey, I'm gonna get back to you. Another one was, wow, that's really interesting. I can't wait to see how you work that out. So I developed these things that to say that were actual tools. I learned to focus on myself instead of, The people around me that I loved that were imploding basically. And I learned to distinguish between what was mine and what was theirs. When I could do that, something happened, which was that I had more luck for myself. I would stay up all night when the girls were out and out on the town, and I couldn't go to sleep until they were home. But you know, I couldn't control that. I could make them sign contracts. I could make them promise. And none of it mattered because they were going to do what they were going to do. So I learned to take care of myself and back off from what wasn't mine in the first place. So I had more of my creative energy and my strength and my health for myself. It wasn't an easy road. It wasn't a quick fix. But when I got around people that were doing better than I was doing, but had had the same struggles, I could kind of let down my guard and I could learn from them. And more than anything, I could just, cry and cry and cry and cry and cry and never feel judged and never feel like I was having to compare myself to anyone who didn't have problems. I will share one thing. It's really funny now, but it wasn't funny then <laughs> as so many things that happened, which is all those Christmas cards. You know, you get your Christmas cards and once you start having a family, everybody looks so great. And oh my gosh, the worst are the Christmas letters. The Christmas letters, all the kids are going to Stanford and they're doing so well. They're top of their class. They just developed a cure for cancer at 16 or whatever. And they were like daggers in my heart. And everybody looked so cute in their white shirts and their jeans on the beach and their family photographs. It was a horrible, but now what I realize is that it's so not true. Every family is going through struggles. They're not going to put it on a Christmas card, you know, but you walk down a street with 50 houses. You've got at least 50 stories. Lots of them are struggling and every single human on the planet is struggling with something, whether they're sharing it or not. So it developed compassion in me and a sense of humor in me and allowed me to draw strength from those things and have a little grace for myself it wasn't my fault. My kids made choices and that got them into hot water all on their own. I had my kids at home. I nursed them. I, gave, I, I fed them organic food. I coached their soccer team. I was a room mom. I stayed home with them when they were little. I did a lot of things that I thought were right. And of course, I made a million mistakes too. But I did not cause their drug addictions. I did not cause it. I couldn't control it, nor could I cure it. Once I internalized that and I grabbed onto it, things started changing. Things started changing in myself. I could get that strength. Things started changing in my relationship with them. And things started changing in their life, too, because we were in a very thick kind of uh, codependency. That's the word now um codependency. I don't know if that's the accurate use of it, but we were tangled up together in ways that were not healthy. So when I withdrew from that and started taking care of myself and saying things like, well, how about that? I love you. I have faith in you. And I trust that you're going to work something out that is right for you. And I can't wait to see how that, that goes for you. And then I stopped talking. Once I could do that, I and let go of the idea that what they were doing, they were doing to me, they weren't. It was their own struggle. Then I couldn't start making changes.
0: Wow. You just mentioned so many incredible things. The first one I have here did not cause their drug abuse. And when you realized it, you knew that you couldn't cure it, which was, I would imagine, almost like the beginning for your own healing to get through this period. So, you know, I'm not a mom. So I cannot put myself in your shoes, but I would imagine that probably during those times when your daughters were struggling, there might have been, potentially until you reached that point, there might have been some blame or guilt or, or a lot of self-doubt or like what was going through your head? Because when something bad is happening to your children, right? Like every mom wants to jump in to rescue.
1: Of course, because we have had that connection with our children If there are your biological children, it's an umbilical cord. You can't get more intimately connected to someone. And I'm sure adoptive mothers feel the same, even though they don't, they haven't had that connection. But these children, it's, if you have trouble with someone that's a romantic relationship, you can sever it. You can get divorced. But a child, that's a whole different ballgame. They came from your womb and also you're legally responsible for them. So they're under 18. It's very, very complicated. So what went through my mind was all of what you just mentioned and more. I, oh my gosh, it was horrible. It was guilt. It was self-shame. It was, why did I make her play soccer? She should have taken dance. That would have solved it all. Why did I try to get that teacher instead of that teacher? That's what it cost. Why did I let her hang out with those people and not those people? That's what it was. And it was none of that. It was we take our best shot, we love and we do our best And, and they're doing the same thing. And you know what? When I was a kid, my mom tried to help me and I rebelled against her. So this seems to be going on perpetually. My kids just happened to choose drugs, which was horrible. But when I didn't have anything left, that's when the opportunity presented itself for me to let go of that Feeling that I could control it because I couldn't. Clearly I couldn't. If lack of sleep would have fixed it, it would have been fixed. If cutting the right amount of a check would fix it, it would have been fixed because that's what we did. If uh, if something I said, something I did, like I said, a contract, if any of that would have fixed it, it would have been fixed. I had no tools in my tool belt to fix this issue. So I had to stop blaming myself because- I couldn't fix it. I truly came to the end of myself. And in fact, one of my daughters, when she was uh, in another state, she relapsed. So we had taken her to a uh, rehab in a different state. Thank God. Because I'll just say, someone who needs to hear this, maybe will hear this. Doing recovery right where you've offended is very, very difficult. Walking the same streets, you're just triggered all the time. So just truly by the grace of God, we got her to a place in a different state. It was everything was new and it wasn't easy, but things started to change. She was in a 90 day program and things started to change for her. She got out. So you kind of go through this intense period of time and then you get stepped down with more privileges until finally you're kind of in sober living and then you're kind of on your own. And with the idea that at each stage you develop skills to handle it. Well, she relapsed. And when she relapsed, her drug of choice was called bath salts. And bath salts are true evil, in my opinion, because when she was using them, they were sold at the convenience stores. They're kind of a synthetic methamphetamine. They're horrendous. They're just so truly horrible. They're kind of like a cocaine methamphetamine, terrible. But at any rate, she went into recovery. When she relapsed, she relapsed with heroin injecting heroin which to me was a whole different ball game it really isn't it's the same bag of tricks but to me that was so far from anything that I had known I just I couldn't even grasp this year what she was doing to this arm you know that I had carried in my womb and I had bathed and I had held that hand but she did and I by that time I had enough Alanon in me that She was getting kicked out of where she was because the person who was her roommate was in recovery and said, I love you, but I can't have you living here. You got to go. She found someone else whose couch she could crash on. So I went, I drove to the other state. I helped her put her stuff in storage, got her to the new place. And I said, honey, I love you. I have faith that you can make choices that are right for yourself and you can handle the consequences. Um, And I can't wait to see how you come out the other side. And then I drove away and I, that was in my rearview mirror. That was brutally hard. I had to get ready to say goodbye to her in not just in my rearview mirror, but she could have died. But that is what the stakes are when you're dealing with someone with drug abuse. And there was nothing I could do to step in the way of that boulder coming downhill toward her if she chose that. So as I drove away, I think that it, Was me driving away. It was the friend she was living with saying, You can't be here, but I love you anyway. That allowed her to see that you can't mess around with this. So she, the people that came around her were people in that recovery community said, When you're willing and when you're ready, we're here for you. When she got to the point where she was ready and she was willing, those are the people that helped her, not me, not mommy. And if you go to an open AA meeting, you will never hear, uh, at least I never have heard, oh, I got sober from my mom. I got sober from my dad. That's not where it comes from. It comes from a deeper place because they want to. So i that was a long way around the block to, to your question, Danny. But yes, yeah, I did feel blame. I did feel shame and um, I had to get past my own self to realize that It wasn't my fault. So I'm not that powerful, you know, and that was what I had to let go of. Love is a varsity game. Love is the most varsity game that you can have. If you're going to love people, you're going to get hurt. And if you're going to give birth to people and those people you give birth to are going to go out and do things like that, the stakes are very high that you are going to feel pain that you've never felt before. But on the other side, The joy is tremendous. The joy is tremendous when you see someone that you love be victorious. That's what the stakes are. I didn't make the game, but that's what the stakes are.
0: (laughs) Motherhood is hard. It is hard. Uh, Not very just motherhood, fatherhood as well. Parenting. They say it's one of the biggest joys in life, but at the same time, it can be equally challenging. Wow, I I really thank you for sharing your story and experience so openly and um, really telling us about the the real struggles because I imagine there are so many other families who have gone through this and where drug abuse have split families apart, where people even died and many family members are left wondering what could we have done or what didn't we do? Uh, There was an experience with my own family uh, that shook a lot with a lot of my family members and have loved and wounded for several years when even to this day, they are wondering, okay, what could we have done differently? And I think what you have done for yourself is that you separated yourself from the cause, right? And then like, you still love your children, you support them, but at the same time, you know, you can't do everything for them. You have to distinguish between love and pity. If you want to have a relationship with someone
1: that is a loving relationship. It can't be predicated upon pity. Love, and as, as our good friend Tim Grover says, he talks about relentless. And I like to translate that into relentless love. Relentless love is fierce. It's so deep. It's so fierce. And what it says is, you know what? I believe in you. I love you. You can do this. And I love you so much. That I am not going to stand in your way of all your choices because you're powerful. You're an amazing being and I know you can do it. If instead of that kind of love, you have pity, you continually stand in the way of what they have purchased with their life choices. And what does that say? I don't believe in you. I don't think you're capable. I'll pay your bills. I'll make the phone calls. I'll call your boss and and lie about why you're not able to come to work. These are the two choices and there's none other. You either love someone or you pity them and don't get fooled on what love is and love is not because pity is not love. Your podcast is about being a warrior. This is about being a warrior. If you want to be a parent, Buckle up. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. It's tremendous. It, it's a, it really, if we all knew what it really encompassed and what the stakes were, would any of us do it? I don't know. But would our parents have done it? Would we get married? Would we have friends? Would we start businesses? Who knows? They all have risks. They all have high prices. But, you know, who wants to eat just bland, food every day. We like some spice. We like some hot. We like some cold. And that's what love is like too. Love has highs. Love has lows. Love is not going to very often be in the middle. It's definitely not pity. So if you want to be a parent, (laughs) be afraid, Daniela, (laughs) because it's a lot, but it's so amazing as well. Maybe anyone who doesn't have kids yet shouldn't hear my story. (laughs) But it's true. It's my story. It's what i got handed to me. And gosh, darn it. I want to, I want to squeeze every drop of it out because that's my story. Why would I want to miss any of it? My, my daughters, they want their story as well. And I want their story for them. I don't want to take away any of it. I want them to be the fierce beings that they really are. And I truly do believe in them. I have to watch myself all the time though. Because even now, you know, they still struggle. Once you've been an addict, it's like having a tiger for a pet. You have to keep it in a cage. And that tiger is very cunning and can look like a kitten sometimes and wants to come out. But it's still a tiger. So that's their struggle. I thank God I don't have that struggle. I don't have that propensity to become addicted to substances. My addiction was to them and helping them when I shouldn't have helped them. But their addictions, they have to be a warrior to battle that tiger and keep it in the cage that it needs to stay in. So I like to say that I wouldn't choose this story. I would rather have you being interviewed, you know, you interviewing me because I made a multi-billion dollar business and you want to know all those secrets or, you know, my book hit the bestseller list and, you know, it's been syndicated and made movies. That would be a great interview, but Unfortunately, that's not my story. This is my story. This is the hard story. And it is, it's true. It's genuine. We still have struggles. I have to watch myself that I don't cross that line and start to mind their business when it isn't mine to mind. It isn't mine to mind. <laughs> so it's a constant staying on this side of the line, staying inside my hula hoop and not inside theirs, not paying their bills, not helping, quote unquote, helping them to death, because that can happen. Parents can help their children to death. I don't want that. I don't want to have done that. I need to be able to say, I did my best. And I had faith in you that you could do your best.
0: You're so amazing, Linda. I love all that you're sharing. The metaphor you just shared about the tiger, I mean, it rings, uh, you know, the bell so much in my own head. And, you know, the tiger can be so many different things for each of us, right? It can be that emotional eating, that uh, binging on Netflix, uh, the alcohol, the drugs, uh, you name it. And it's true. We need to know what is the tiger within us so that we know, A, what are we playing with, how dangerous is the fire we're dealing with, and also to know how to extinguish it or, or manage it. At best. And the other thing is that I love your story and I wouldn't want it to be any different because while it is so hard and it must have been so challenging to go through, it's real. And that is what makes it so powerful. That is why, you know, you can actually touch so many people's lives because there are others in very similar situations and they can draw so much strength from your own experience and knowing that you got out of it, you actually became so much stronger. And as a result of that, even wrote your own book, right? Where you're sharing your learnings and discoveries um, where the beauty is in the adversity, right? That. And I would say, I
1: would, I would definitely clarify one point there is getting out of it. I'm still in it. My kids still struggle right now. One of them is struggling with drugs again. But you know what? She hasn't come to me and said, mom, can I talk to you about this? So I'm just here. I love her. I still love her. I still have communication with her. She knows I know. And I know that she knows I know. But I'm not minding her business. So getting out of it, it's not so clear cut. It's not made for TV movie where there's an ending. You know, it's like life just goes on. So I have to just roll with it. I am I that tumbling that I talked about with the beach glass, it's still happening. <laughs> I would be I would like to sometimes they say that you know God only gives you what you can handle. And sometimes I want to say, you know what? I think you have me confused with somebody else because <laughs> I think I can't handle this. But Then we roll with it, we tumble, we lose more pieces of ourselves, but we resurface and something more, even more beautiful comes out of it. So it's been an amazing ride so far and it continues. It just continues.
0: That is so powerful and so true. And we can, again, tie to our own struggles, right? With many of our struggles, we're never really done or maybe we overcome one one challenge, but another comes up. And actually like the process of thumbling and breaking, In my opinion, this continues for the rest of your lives until your time is up because life is ever changing.
1: Indeed. And you look at bodybuilders, you know, they only get stronger by challenging their muscles and those muscles develop tears. And it's in the repairing that the strength happens. That's going to go on forever. This is not just a walk. We are in a marathon. We are in a sprint. We are on a mountain climb. We're going down. We're going up. We're coming out. That's what life is. Don't we want that? Let's not get anesthetized to what life is all about. Let's grab it and live it. That's where the fun stuff is. That's where the gravy is. It's right next to the tears. (laughs) And you're right. It does continue till the moment that They close the lid on you and throw some dirt on top of that. Life is life. Life is a challenge.
0: Indeed. Um, Linda, what would be your message to uh, some of the parents out there who might be struggling with some of the challenges you have gone through today? Something you would like them to remember as they are in the thick of it? I would
1: say that anyone who goes to the hardware store expects to find milk there is going to be disappointed. So, get yourself somewhere where you can get what you need. I found it in Al Anon, which is uh, an environment of people that have come through struggles. And if you go to the first meeting and you don't like it, just keep going, just keep going back, and maybe you'll decide that that particular meeting's not for you, but you might find another one. If you have younger kids and they're, they haven't developed these issues, I would say just keep in mind that developing a conversation is more important than controlling the content of the conversation. Develop a way for your child to hear their own voice. Ask them questions. Take the extra time not to just tell them, tell them, tell them, but make them think, make them work things out and realize that what you're truly doing is you're equipping them to think for themselves when you're not around. So those are two things. And I would also say that if anyone is a parent right now of of kids that are struggling, I don't know you, but I love you. I am you. I remember when it was so difficult and all I could do was cry. And there is another side to it. You can learn how to be happy, even if the people that you love are still struggling. You really can. Because once you get that you didn't cause it, you can't control it. And what's the third one? And you won't cure it. <laughs> you didn't cause it. You can't cure it. And you won't control it. Once you internalize that, you can start getting back to the business of why you're here on this planet, which is living your own life, not living your child's life. You gave birth to a autonomous being. Humans are rascals. We do things that are independent of what everybody else wants us to do. And I would just say that don't beat yourself up too hard. Get with other people that can be of help and start listening to your own voice and get back to the business of why you're here on this planet.
0: I absolutely love it. There's so much more that we could talk about, though I, I do want to be mindful of uh your time. So let's talk some more about your book. I know we mentioned this uh throughout the conversation. Uh, it um So, and and you mentioned kind of the metaphor and what inspired you to to write it, but uh, why should people pick up this book?
1: (laughs) After this conversation, they're going to think it's all about drug abuse, which it really isn't. (laughs) (laughs) It's 10 chapters. It's, in my opinion, it's a beautiful jewel of a book. It's a small book and it's 10 chapters, 10 beaches. And these are beaches from the tip of Baja, California, Mexico to San Juan Islands in Puget Sound of Washington. These are beaches where, like I said, I spent decades finding beach glass and the stories of how I found it and the people that were with me when I found it, always returning to that theme that beach glass taught me, which is finding beauty in what survives the storm, the jewel revealed by the adversity, not in spite of it, but because of it. So I had a dear friend of mine illustrate the book. She did incredible line drawings of every beach, which is the beginning of the chapter. The chapters exist independent of each other, so you can pick it up wherever you want. I think the cover is really beautiful. I took the picture with my iPhone. (laughs) But that's what the book is. and It's on Amazon. Again, it's called Beach Class, Finding New Beauty and What Survives the Storm. I would love it if you're... Any of your listeners would grant me the, the most precious gift, which is their time, to read it and let me know what they think of it. I always love to hear from my readers. I've had glass sent to me from New Zealand, from Florida, from Canada, and it always, always tickles me so much that people are out there finding the jewels that have entertained me for most of my life. And I would love to hear from them too. And they can find me at lindabinley.com or like I said, my book is on Amazon. So either of those ways, I'm active on Instagram, Linda Binley Author, at Linda Binley Author. So any friend of yours, Danny, is a friend of mine. I would love to hear from them.
0: You should absolutely pick up this book. It's a fantastic short book, which is great for many of you who are are busy, but still want to enrich your lives with some amazing wisdom. And as you heard it today, Linda has lots of it to share and give. So please go check out Linda's book on Amazon. We'll put the links into the show notes and do reach out to Linda. She's uh, such a wonderful human being. Lots of love and care for others. And Linda, I am so grateful that you spent this hour with me today and that you shared your wisdom, your learnings, not just with me, but with all of our listeners. Truly,
1: the honor is mine. The pleasure is mine. And um, like I said, Danny, I think you are doing such a fantastic job. I think you're making a huge positive impact on this world as all the warriors that are listening to you must be doing
0: as well. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Such a pleasure. All right. Let us know what you thought of today's conversation. Please do share it with somebody who needs to hear it. There might be people who are going through this right now and this episode could help them find a way out. So uh, don't estimate this uh, kind action for its impact because it can really make a huge difference. All right. Thank you all of you for tuning in and to today's episode and we'll be back in two weeks from now. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you for spending some time with me and most of all, for investing time in yourself. If you found value in this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to our episodes. This will greatly help us spread the word and help others find it more easily. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at Denny Timras. Shoot me a note and let me know what you thought of today's conversation. I always welcome any feedback or questions. Remember, now that you're here, you're part of a tribe. In this tribe, we care for each other. We lift each other up as well as share the raw, honest, unpolished truth that we often need to hear. So before you go, think about the next best action you can take to get you on your path to success. Don't wait for tomorrow. Make a commitment and do it now. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, have a great day.